Welcome to Birth Stories in Color, a podcast creating community for people of color to share and learn from birth stories of all types. We're your hosts, Laurel Gurrier and Danielle Jackson. Today's episode features Tanya Rapley. Some of you may know her as the founder of MyFab Finance and the Maternal Health and Ed Project, both platforms empowering us all to take control of money and our health. Beyond those amazing accomplishments, she's also a mama, and we are introduced and we were introduced to her during Black Maternal Health Week. She took to social media and gave us a peek of her own birth story. A line she shared that resonated with us is that Black women deserve healing experiences. So with that, hello, Tanya. Welcome to the show. Hello. Thank you for having me. I think this is my first, first birth-oriented podcast I've been on, so that's great. Okay. Yay. Yay. Welcome. <laughs> I'm super passionate about this. So I'm excited. Yay. Awesome. Yes. Tanya, can you start by telling us a little bit about yourself and your family? Yeah. Um, I mean, I, well, I, I'm a military brat. I grew up in um, a few different places, but I consider Charlotte, North Carolina to be home. Um, but I went to college in Miami, Florida. And I, I say I matured in Brooklyn, New York. I lived in New York for nine years before moving to California, where I'm at now, but I'm relocating down south in a few months, hopefully, now that I'm a mama and we have a son. Um, and so I, um, I grew up in a military household. There wasn't a lot of entrepreneurship. Um, it was kind of like, you know, you go get a good government job. And I... I don't know. People always ask me if I knew what I wanted to be when I grew up. And now in retrospect, like I just always wanted to have freedom. I always wanted to make a living in a way that allowed me freedom. And I didn't see a lot of that around me because my parents were in the military. So I didn't know what that looked like. I didn't know how to articulate it. I didn't know what type of path to pursue. But I'm a firm believer in intention and that everything begins with intention. I've always had that intention to live free. And um, I'm pretty much living in that, you know, I'm, I'm living in that. I've been self-employed for five years as a founder of MyFab Finance and it's a financial oriented brand. And so because of that, we deal with financial education and creating financial freedom. Um, so I've been able to create a certain amount of financial freedom for myself and my husband. Uh, and so we are, we are living our intentions and continuing to set more. I love that. I love how you said that New York grew you up. <laughs> it it grew you up real quick. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I moved there. I was, I think about, you know, I was talking to, I'm a part of a mom group and I was talking to one of the moms who was like 23. And I was like, girl, at 23? I was still coming in at like 7 a.m. from the, the after hour spot in New York and like living my life. But I am happy, you know, while I, did become a mother at an older age, quote unquote, especially my mom. Like by the time I hit 30 and I didn't have any kids, she's like, you know, your eggs ain't getting any, and they not, you're not getting any younger. You know, the older you get, the harder it gets. I'm like, oh my gosh. Um, but I'm definitely glad that I lived a decent amount and did a lot of that living while in New York. Yeah, absolutely. So can you tell us a little bit about your pregnancy? What was that mm-hmm. like? My pregnancy, um, you know, you know, you never know what to expect. Um, I, I had been pregnant before. Um, it was a, pre- a pregnancy I had chosen to terminate. 
Um, I was probably around nine to 10 weeks when I decided to terminate that pregnancy. And so I had started getting morning sickness then. So I kind of knew to expect, I think my body's going like, I know they say every pregnancy is different, but I was like, um, so early on definitely had the morning sickness. Um, I have what they call, um, I forgot what it is. It's like a fear of vomiting. And so like, for me, that was like the worst possible thing about being pregnant was like morning sickness and just throwing up all the, like, the like I have a friend who had, um, I forgot what it was called, what it's called. It's a hypermesis where she mm-hmm. like got sick her entire pregnancy. Yeah. And that was like my first friend who like got pregnant at the time I wanted to get pregnant. And I was like, oh my God. I cannot like the dread. So my pregnancy actually, I had I had typical. I had morning nausea um, the first trimester. I remember I was kind of like, oh, I think I'm going good. And then I was traveling because I'm a public speaker and I'm um, on air talent and so forth. I travel a lot, and during my pregnancy, I travel a lot. And I remember I was coming home from Illinois, and I was in the airport, and I was sitting next to an older woman who had like the most like just like an old woman pregnancy on, and it just made me so nauseous. And I was like, oh, it's here, it's here, like it's about to hit. And after that, I I um, canceled a lot of my speaking engagements, letting them know that I was in my first trimester, um, and that I would not be. I'm choosing not to travel at this time. Um, I was actually in the process of releasing my first book for my fab finance. So just trying to work around when I felt like working. Um, but I made it through. I actually, I actually made it through without my dread of, of vomiting. Actually that came when I became a mother, um, because my son got the stomach virus, but like I made it through, um, <laughs> but my pregnancy was really good. After that, my second trimester, I remember there were times because I was still flying a lot. I would like, I traveled with my little sonar thingy, the heart rate, um, it detects the heartbeat because I didn't feel pregnant. I was like, am I still pregnant? I don't feel pregnant. Um, so that was uneventful. And then I ended up hiring my midwife. I already, I had an OB through that time. Um, I was very intentional about finding a black OB. Um, I, me and my husband had been in California for about a year and a half by the time I got pregnant. I didn't even have a primary care physician. I looked up this OB. They took my insurance. I was like, how do I get a referral to your office? And ended up getting a referral. And that's how I found my OB. He was a black OB, GYN from North Carolina, ironically, um, HBCU educated. And that's very rare to find here in Los Angeles. And then um, about half, about halfway through, I knew I wanted a hospital birth. And so I also hired a midwife. Um, my midwife is amazing. Um, I ended up hiring her. And, the, and, and that's the beauty of like having financial freedom to do so, is that I was like, okay, my insurance is going to pay for my OB. We'll pay for our midwife out of pocket because I want to make sure that we're getting, like, I'm getting all my questions answered. Like nothing is left unturned. And I just want to feel comfortable in this process. And the midwife visits compared to my, I think it's nice to have that, that contrast because OBGYN get in, they, they weigh me, pee, you know, look at my pee, um, ask me a few questions, maybe do an ultrasound. I'm, I, I see him off for like 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. I'm sitting with my midwife. Like I'm there with her for like an hour and a half, you know, we're just going through everything, asking all the questions, everything just, just really built that relationship and just really had someone who I felt was really on my team. My OBGYN was then too, but he just had a traditional medical approach. Right. Um, so yeah, came, I had a good second trimester, third trimester. Um, I remember mom was like, you're going to wake up one day and you're going to be like, Oh, I'm pregnant. Third trimester. It definitely happened. I was like, Oh, okay. Now he can, he can come. 
Like he can come in probably around, it probably hit me about 32 weeks. I was like, oh, I'm, it's a wrap. I think that was about the time where I couldn't like put lotion on my feet and like would have to like pause and take a breath after I got out the shower and like things became labored and turning over was like an Olympic sport in bed. Like I had to hype myself up and getting up and peeing all times of the night. But um, I, I was at risk of developing preeclampsia during my pregnancy. Um, I, um, my mother had preeclampsia with me. I was gaining weight rapidly. I'm a small frame woman. Like right now I sit at like 125 pounds. Um, by the time I was, by the time I delivered my son, I weighed about 180 pounds. And so, and I was gaining weight rapidly. I think within the first, like by the second trimester, I had put on like 40 pounds. Um, and so they were really concerned. They're like, you're supposed to gain 35 pounds the entire pregnancy. And they shamed me. Like I would show up and I would like cry because I'm like, I'm not trying to do this. I'm just hungry. Like, <laughs> I'm not. And um, one of the other amazing things is that I, I was in, I decided to do the Bradley birthing method. So um, it's a birth method for women who do want to deliver um, unmedicated and want to utilize their partner as their birthing coach. But one of the things they talk about a lot in the Bradley birthing method is your diet. And so around that time when they started testing me for preeclampsia and like putting these fears in my head, I spoke to my Bradley instructor and I told her, she was like, up your protein. And I know they're telling you not to eat sodium, but eat sodium, like do this. Cause my OBGYN was like, don't eat salt. Like that was all he told me. And I told my Bradley instructor, I was like, that's not enough. And it was up your protein. I was eating eggs every day. I had, I had like a little chart and I had to eat like a hundred grams of protein a day. I was drinking milk. I don't even drink milk, but I was drinking like chocolate milk and everything else. And um, lo and behold, I did not deliver, develop preeclampsia as a result. But the interesting thing is I would get comfortable and be like, okay, things are good and not eat my protein. And like within two to three days, my blood pressure would start shooting up. And so, but I would get back on my Bradley diet and everything. As long as I stayed on that, my protein, like my blood pressure remained stable. So ended up delivering my son on, went into labor on Thanksgiving evening, um, the evening before Thanksgiving. Thank God I hired my midwife because I called my doctor and I was like, I lost my medical plug and, and my medical, I lost my, uh, my mucus plug. And he's like, oh, it sounds like you're going to have a baby, but I'm going out of town. So uh, there'll be someone there to help you. And I was like, sorry, what? <laughs> yes. Yes. But thankfully I had taken the Bradley classes. And so we labored at home as long as possible. Midwife met us at the hospital. And I'm sure we can go into like my labor and everything, but pretty, I'm, I'm happy I had that support. And that was what led me to create the paternal health and education project is because I don't believe, you know, talking to other friends and like, I'm just gonna let my body do what it does. And it's like, y'all spend more time buying a house or buying a car than you be preparing to give birth that that's we got to stop just putting this in the hands of like the traditional medical system and thinking that they know what's best for us and and even in our bradley classes like we were the only me and my husband the only african-american couple and it was like i just feel you know and it costs money all that stuff costs money out of pocket i was like well maybe if i can make it affordable or mitigate the cost other women of color will have the opportunity to have a supported birth because I had a, and a supported pregnancy because I had a very supported pregnancy and birth. Right. And you're so, so right about the preparation. Like, yes, we all know that our bodies can do this and all of that. That is beautiful. And it is true. However, <laughs> there's still 
research and things that you have to do to make sure that you're prepared as much as possible and that you are working in tandem with your body. Like, I'm not just going to go buy a house because I know I got the money for it. Like, <laughs> there's research, there's steps to, to make sure you're making the best purchase. So that you want to do the same thing with your birth, that you're creating the best birth team for you and doing all the right things. Exactly. You know, birth is one, like you said, you know, one thing I would, I started doing affirmations, especially my first trimester, just affirming that me and like me and my baby were in alignment um, because I knew I had a busy schedule and I, mommy had to, she's an entrepreneur. So I had to make this money before he came mm-hmm. before, because I had to fund my own maternity leave. But then also um, I, you know, just doing prep and stuff like that and just learning what I could. And I, everybody, you know, someone gave me this, uh, well, you know, that Mike, I don't know if you know the Mike Tyson quote, but everybody has a plan so they get punched in the face. <laughs> That's labor. <laughs> yep. Like, yes. That is labor. Ah, you yes. can, like, you yes. can listen to all the hypno birthing mistakes <laughs> you want. You can take the Bradley birthing classes. Yes. You can you can read all the books. But, and you know, I would say, you know, people have had babies and comas. I can do this. My body is made for this. But every, you have a plan until them, them, them labor pain test. You know, like, oh, so yeah. Yes. I even love that you just said, I knew I was an entrepreneur, so I needed to make sure that me and baby were in alignment. Because I do think for many of us as black and brown individuals, we work work. Um, mm-hmm. We don't have the luxuries to work in spaces that have maternity leave. Or we're really out here constantly um, grinding while we're working through our pregnancies. And it's so important to like understand what that does to the body and the bonding and all of that. And being able to have those spaces where you're like, all right, I'm making sure that we're in tune and we're still okay. Mm-hmm. Even though today's might be yeah. a little crazy. That's just, yeah. I love that you brought that up because that's so important. Yes, it is. It is because yeah. it's it's a um, it's a day without limits sometimes as an, as an entrepreneur where you don't from sun up to sundown and you might get back up again and still knock something out you know yeah. um, especially if you're up being pregnant you're like I'm uncomfortable might as well do something you know it's like so much of um, making yourself pause and, and really getting in and, and talking to we talk to our clients a lot about. Um, and doula work about just talking to the baby sometimes, Um, you know, while they're in there, just, Hey, I know we're doing a little wild today, (laughs) but I got you. We're going to eat. I got you. Mommy's in these streets. (laughs) We're in these streets, but we're going to get the stuff we need. Right. You talked about this a little bit, um, but can you elaborate uh, um, a little bit more about how you worked with, in prep- preparing for your birth, you had both a midwife, but we're working with an OB. Can you talk a little bit of how that worked? And like, was that a conversation that you had with your OB? Or you kind mm-hmm. of like, yeah, how did that work? Yeah, my OB, I remember um, there was a point where my OB, I, remember I was at an appointment and I was asking him a question. He was like, oh, you one of those. You, <laughs> you want <wanted, laughs> He was like, you one of those. Okay. Okay. Like he knew that I was going to be the person who was just going to like research everything, um, push back on things, look into stuff. Uh, when I informed him that I had a midwife, I think he expected it. He kind of was like, 
here she goes. <laughs> um, so when I told him that um, there was a, he was supposed to meet my midwife before my birth, she was actually going to come to my appointment. She was okay with it. He was okay with it. The thing I did like about having like utilizing my OBGYN and my insurance is I, if there were certain tests I needed to get done and everything, it went through my insurance. Mm-hmm. So and my insurance covered quite a bit. Um, I was looking at my. Uh, the insurance, I mean, we're entrepreneurs, we pay for our insurance out of pocket, but um, we knew that we were planning to get pregnant that year. So we selected the best insurance possible leading into that year um, on, on our plan. And so um, I think my birth cost is, oh, we'll talk about the cost of my birth, but they covered a hundred percent of my visits and most of my blood work and stuff like that. I didn't have to pay for that. So that was a benefit of going through my OBGYN to get those things done. Um, and so I would just report back to my midwife and tell her, like, these are the findings. This is so-and-so, this was that. Um, so it was nice to have both of those. They did kind of work in a team, but separately. Mm-hmm. They never got to meet each other because the day that she was supposed to come with me to an appointment, she had to deliver another baby. So, um, so things happen. Um, but um, it was, it actually was harmonious. And for me, it worked out because I delivered on Thanksgiving. My OBGYN was in the Bay Area. I live in Los Angeles. He was in the Bay Area on Thanksgiving with his family, showed up at the hospital. My midwife was there, the attending doctor. My midwife has like history here in LA. She's delivered with that doctor before. Her and the nurse knew what my plan was. When it came down to me delivering my son, they did not call that doctor in until like she could not move me from the position I was in. It was like the doctor had to come in and just like get with the program instead of us being on her program. So that was the power of having my midwife there. And like, I didn't, I didn't have a need for the doctor, honestly, on call, because if I had any questions, I would look over to my midwife and be like, is this this supposed to happen? What's going on? So and so and so. Um, I didn't have any cervical checks. So there were just certain things that were in alignment with the Bradley birth that um, lent to me having a successful hospital birth, even though midwives are not allowed to deliver in hospitals here in LA. Mm. It allowed my hospital birth, my midwife to play an active role in my hospital birth because we didn't need the doctor until she had to come in. Right. So it worked out that I had both of them and they, you know, they respected each other. The, yeah. and, and my midwife was familiar with my, um, with my OBGYN because there's not many black OBGYNs here in LA. So she was familiar with my OBGYN. But he was, you know, honestly, both of them were on board with my program. Even my, my um, doctor, he was like, you going to do this unmedicated? You going to do this? I was like, yeah, I really want to do this unmedicated. He was like, okay. I was like, you think I could do it? He's like, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can do it. Like, and, you know, he was very just like reinforcing of that and confident about that and so forth. And so, um. It was nice when, even though he wasn't there, when I had my son and, and went back to my checkup and my, you know, right after he was like, you did it. I was like, yeah. He's like, I knew you could. I was like, yeah, I did. <laughs> it was, it was a really good experience. That's a powerful testament of the teamwork of not fighting over who's catching the baby, mm-hmm. who's supporting the mom, who gets to be the one on the paper. Right. Um, I love that you're able to have that type of experience and, and not everyone can. And I recognize that as, you know, resources are different for families. Um, but just the idea of the midwife still being able to come and still have a voice in the room, even though mm-hmm. she's not, you know, having privileges in the hospital, that she still had a voice in the room and you were able to hear her and, and not have to wait for someone else necessarily for things to go the way you want to yeah and they kind of and from what I um I, you know I talked to other people and I you know there's I when I interviewed midwives 
I didn't interview midwives. I met her and I was like, she's it. That's my midwife. Mm-hmm. Um, she's just such a powerful force. My midwife was Rashad Tahani Lawler, um, Crimson Fig on social Love media. Rashad is powerful. <laughs> she's, she's powerful. Yes. So like, it was like, we walked in the hospital and they was like, we know what it is. Mm-hmm. Like, this is a Rashad situation. <laughs> like, they were like, all right, we're going to do what we can. But um, she ain't going from like, she ain't, she ain't playing around with us. Right. And it was very much that like I asked for things and it was the power of having that birth team, especially as a first time mother, because birth is such a vulnerable time, such a vulnerable experience. And you're tired, you're exhausted, you're scared, you're being pushed beyond your limits. And um, you might not be able to advocate for yourself the way you could out of birth. And so for me, it was important to have my birth team like strong, like who would advocate for me the way I would advocate for myself if I was not in a birthing position. So when it came to like, can somebody find her a cordless monitor so that, you know, so she can walk around and labor in motion, you know, they were like, well, someone's using, she will let us know when it's finished. And then like, you know, when they came in, they did, when I first got there, someone was using it. So they had me use the one that was connected. And she's like, okay, get that. I was like, I don't want this on me. She's like, okay, let's get off her. We monitor, go wait till we find the other one. Um, And so it was just nice to have someone who, knew what you could get in a hospital setting instead of being told this is what we'll do. It's like, no, nah, y'all can do that. Go get it for her. Right. And yeah. next birth. Now I know. <laughs> right. <laughs> I know y'all got one around here. <laughs> like, right. <you> know. <laughs> so now I know. And I think that as a first time mother, that was just really important for me because you just, it's one of those things you don't, every birth is different, but especially as a first time mother, you just don't know. Right. Don't know. Yeah, a lot of moms don't really even know what they can ask for or that's their option. Right? Yeah, you don't know. And that was a good thing about doing the Bradley birthing class. So if someone is not in the position to hire a midwife, then Bradley birthing classes, um, that was really helpful for me too, because I just learned so much. And I, I still, I to the point where I'm like, I would consider becoming a Bradley instructor. I just really loved how much, you know, we spent 12 weeks. So the Bradley birthing class is a 12 week long class. And, um, you know, I had friends who were like, yeah, we did a six hour class. I was like, six hours? Girl, I've been in class for three months. Um, but I'm really happy that we did that because I also learned so much about, you know, the stages of birth. Um, my mom, God bless her, she meant well, but I remember she was telling me about how to do natural labor. And she was like, you know, you just hold your breath and bear down. It's like, I, Bradley was like, actually, no, you flow. Mm-hmm. You mm-hmm. flow with it versus you just hold your breath and bear down. Um, so it's just certain things. My mom took Lamaze. And so it's just certain things that I was really happy that benefited me as well. That I think that if someone can't afford to hire a midwife, there are benefits, especially having your partner. I was looking back at my husband's text messages during my labor, like afterwards. And he's like, she's in the first stage. She's in active labor. So-and-so, so, so-and-so, like he was able, he knew so much about the birthing process as a result of being in those classes with me. We were practicing together I was doing my exercises with him he'd be like did you do your did you do your squats did you do your you know your your hip um your your exercise to open up your hips and your pelvis and so forth we got to go on a walk like he was also very instrumental in that so um while it was great to have my midwife um and I'm you know I would do it over again with her there were also certain things that we knew to ask for as a result of birthing with the Bradley method and it's more affordable like you know I I, I paid out of pocket for my midwife a couple thousand 
couple of thousands, but <laughs> with with the Bradley birthing method, I think it was like four seventy five for the six week class. Um, which and also that's one of the things um, my my instructor she offers scholarships to people, and then now with the Maternal Health and Education Project, I offer scholarships to anyone who wants to take the Bradley method class but can't afford it. So um, it's in reach for people who are interested. Got it. That's a, that's that's cool. That's a cool resource. But it also speaks to how we what we value, right? Because we might have that on our sheet right now, right? So, mm-hmm. <laughs> so mm-hmm. how people what they value and what's important to them and how we spend our resources. Can you describe some of your what your birth experience was like for us? Yeah, um, it was long. <laughs> I was in labor for twenty three hours. I was hoping that I'd be one of the people. I have friends who were like, "Girl, I got to the hospital and I was nine centimeters and had the baby. Didn't even have time to get to the room." I was hoping that was going to be my situation. Um, it wasn't. I um, I labored at home as long as I thought made sense. But then also, I live in LA. We're notorious for our traffic, and so um, I start. I went in labor about twelve a.m. That's when I had my bloody show. Um, and so I labored at home from 12 a.m., went to sleep until about 6 a.m., then woke up and like, I was like, okay, I can't sleep through this. Uh, we left for the hospital about 3 p.m., had Rashad show up with us, got admitted to the hospital. They showed up. They were like, I was like, I'm in, I'm in active labor. They're like, are you sure? Your first time mom, are you sure you're in labor? Did your water break? I was like, no, but I'm in labor. They're like, oh, we'll check. They check. I was six centimeters dilated. Um, I asked them not to check me anymore. So I did not have, I asked not to have cervical checks up until that point. That was my very first cervical check. And I'd ask for no more because that's part of the Bradley method. You don't add, you don't get cervical checks because it can introduce bacteria to the cervix and so forth. So um, the total of my labor, I only had two cervical checks when I got admitted. And when I had been pushing for an hour and the baby still hadn't cut my water, hadn't broken. Um, so got admitted. They, I ended up doing the, um, they had to give me an IV lock, but I was not connected to an IV machine. Um, when it had an unmedicated birth plan, wanted to labor around the room. We had music playing. I had created a playlist. So that was amazing. Just kind of vibing. Um, labored in the shower quite a bit at the hospital, bouncy ball. If anyone checks my Instagram feeds and looks at my pictures, at one point you can see I'm just like squatted over a bouncy ball in the middle of the hospital floor because um, I was walking from the bathroom and a contraction hit and it was like, ooh, okay, breakdown right here. Um, because I did not have any circle checks, they just said, well, you know, when you get the urge to push. So I got the urge to push probably about, um, about nine o'clock and I started pushing. After pushing for about, 45 minutes. I was like, what the hell? Uh, this is not how it happens in the movies. What, what's going on? Is, is he stuck? Do we need, and this is, this is when it started to set in. Like, <laughs> I don't know if I want to do this. Unmedic- I was tired. And I was like, Can y'all have any pain relief options? And they were like, we have laughing gas. I was like, I want no damn laughing gas. <laughs> what, what, what drug related options do you have? And they were like, your birth plan says no, um, no epidural. Cause at that point I was, I was just done. It wasn't that I couldn't do it. It was that I didn't know how much longer it was going to be. And I was tired. Um, and so, but that's another contraction hit. So I was like, let me just get to the track and get out my face. Um, and uh, my water hadn't broken. And so that's true. The nurse was like, Tanya, let me, let, we had a really kind nurse. She was amazing. She was like, let me check your you mind if I do a cervical check to see how far along you are? Cause you've been pushing for 45 minutes. Your water hasn't broken. Let's just see. Um, I was nine and a half centimeters, had a bulging bag. Um, 
So that was, you know, it was good to know, like, okay, we made it to nine and a half. Like, all right. Uh, went to the bathroom, sat on the toilet to labor because I was laboring, sitting on the toilet. Pop, water burp. I was like, I looked at Rashad. I was like, is it time? Is it time? And she's like, it, it, it's, it's showtime. Um, birth is dirty. Um, not dirty. I won't say that. Birth is messy. That's another thing like I was not prepared for was like, so <laughs> laboring, like I remember like I had walking from the bathroom again, had to break down and have a, have um, a contraction on the floor and they put a mat, they put like their pads underneath me. And I was just like, what is that? Oh my God. What is all that stuff coming out of me? And they were just like, birth. It's okay. It's natural. It's, it's okay. It's going to happen. Um, and so that, and then that's when they started to flip the room over. And so it's interesting now having going through labor and stuff because like, that's when they flip the room. That's when, you know, it's time that they start flipping the room, lights start coming on, mm-hmm. people start coming in and start wheeling things in so-and-so. And I asked for a squat bar to get ready to push. And so they brought a squat bar in. I was pushing in a squat bar. We were not making progress. Karis was still kind of just chilling. Um, and then my midwife said, well, Tanya, what about laying on your side? Cause I did not want to labor on my back. So they were like, what about laying on your side? Got on my side, started pushing. I still was pushing for about, but it's from the time I got on my side to Karis came, I still was pushing for about 30 minutes. Um, but it was, they were progressive pushes. Like he was coming like, and then I remember they said, we can see his head. He has a lot of hair. Um, and then that's when, um, it just happened so quick. It happened so quick. I remember my mom saying, once you have the baby, the contractions go. It happened so, it's an out-of-body, it is literally like an out-of-body experience because you're like, you just channeling everything you can. I remember hitting transition before um, he came and transition was scary for me because my I was shaking, I was hot, I was cold, my teeth were chattering. Um, and I was like, I was like, what is happening? What is, ha- is it supposed to happen? I looked at my midwife. I was like, is this supposed to happen? And she was like, yeah, you're, you're in transition. And I was like, okay. Knowing the stage of the birth, I was like, all right, he's, he's going to be here. Like we're going to road. But um, yeah, he arrived. I had certain requests even afterwards um, that he, we had delayed the cord cutting. Um, and I, I thought that I remember um, I always said, like, I don't know if I want my baby laying on my chest when I have him because, like, he's just been in, like, this still water for nine months. And, ugh, I grabbed him so quick. Like, I grabbed and just put him on my chest. And, like, it was it was, it was was such a beautiful experience. And now, like, I'm glad I have my playlist because one of my favorite songs is Love, Love, Love by Donny Hathaway. Um, I gave birth to him to Love, Love, Love. And then when they were um, cleaning him off and weighing him and everything, Tina Marie's um, I Was Here Before was, was playing. And so I was just like, welcome to the world. Welcome, you know, welcome my little old soul. Um, so it was, it, the, good thing, the, the good thing about my birth is that when I say that my midwife, um, they did not call the doctor until I was laboring on my side and Karis pretty much in my canal. And so at that point, she literally had to come into the room, get into the program, just sit there and catch him. She couldn't tell me to move or anything else because he was coming. And we have pictures where she's just kind of sitting there like, I'm not getting my way. This is how she wanted to do it. And she was kind of disgruntled, but she just, and even with the cord cutting, you know, like they were, she was like, is it, are, are you ready for me to cut? It's been enough time. I was like, no, a little longer, a little longer. Um, so yeah, my, my birth, I'm very thankful, you know, um, that I had that birth story and 
I just really want to affirm we hear so much there's so much fear and I always say that we have to guard our hearts especially when we're pregnant and as women of color and people of color because people are always telling us and we know the realities we know the statistics and everything else but we're constantly being reminded of those statistics and I think that those can inform our experiences as well and so that is why I'm also very vocal about my birth story because I want black women to know that you can have a healing healthy happy labor um, as well as you can have one in a hospital setting as long as you're supported. Not saying, you know, I know there are a lot of dynamics. I'm in Southern California and there's a lot of dynamics there, but it's possible. And I want people to know it's possible. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I just love hearing about like the music involved in our children coming into the coming earth side, just hearing that. Like what was playing when they when they came in, what was touching their hearts that like we then associate with their birth and that. Um, and I didn't know, I didn't know those were playing. Right. In my head, <laughs> right. Like everything was silent. Exactly. But when I was looking at the video that my husband actually happened to capture, I realized I was like, Oh my gosh, Donnie Hathaway love, love, love was playing. Oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> so it was just like, you know, having the videos and that's another thing. It's like having that video, I, my, my video, I watched, I probably watch it every month of him being born um, because it just is like, it happens so quick, but it is the biggest moment of your life. And yes. um, just to be able to like witness, I'm really happy my husband caught it. Yes. I know. I, you know, we, we, there's so many people who are like, I don't want pictures. I don't want videos. and totally understand it. Like you said, birth is messy. Um, <laughs> there are a lot of liquids and fluids and all of that um involved but i really do think it's beautiful when you have something to to like physically be able to look back on of that experience um, and i was not a modest birther um they that, and that's one of the stages in the bradley method like you know you're in like the final stages like the loss of modesty they call mm -hmm. it it's like where you just like taking stuff off and i remember like i was we had a photographer. I had never met the birth photographer we hired. She walked in the room. My butt was in the air. I just had a bra on. I was butt naked other than that. And I was like, hey. <laughs> and I did not care. I was like, hi. Um, and it's funny because. Welcome. I, 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 yeah, welcome, welcome to the birthing suite. Um, seven months later, I was at an event and she was a photographer. I didn't even realize it was her. She didn't realize it was me because I was like on birth planet when I met her. And then she was like, Tanya? I was like, yeah. She was like, Tanya, I'm Aaliyah. I photographed your birth. And I was like, oh. But it was like this, it, it just, you know, it was one of those things people think they're going to care. But in birth, you do not care. I mean, I didn't care. I wasn't like the woman put some makeup on my face. Like, I did not care. I was like, this is real. This shit is real. Whatever. <laughs> Whatever. Just get this baby out of me. Right. I'm tired. I'm hot. I'm, there's things on me. People touching me. <sighs> Who, just, I want it all done. <laughs> I just remember asking, like, can y'all go get him? Can y'all go, can, can, like, I know y'all have, like, a vacuum situation. Like, can you go get him? Just get him out of me. <laughs> And they're like, no, we don't do that. I was like, yo, I, 
I love how, right. I love how like the hospital staff, the, like your nurses are like, no, that's not in your birth plan. <laughs> yeah, and I was They pissed. made you honor hey, like, for that. <laughs> I was pissed. Oh, it's a part I felt like they were messing with me. Like, let, mm-hmm, we <laughs> right. her back for this. And I'm not going to beg for it. So, and, so yeah. And I remember them, um, I did have my birth plan. Do not offer me the epidural. Do not offer it to me. Um, so I guess they knew that I was really, and I guess they saw Rashad and was like, Right. She, th- her midwife ain't say it was okay. So let us not play around because we know her. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so what was postpartum like for you? Postpartum was a big adjustment. Um, another one of those things you can't really plan for. Um, I remember the first night Karis came at, so I was in labor, like basically 23 hours. Karis came at 12, like 12, 10 that morning so after being in labor the entire day i remember saying so are you going to take him to the nursery so i can get some sleep or something like no mommy this is your baby he's sleeping in here with you like wait what (laughs) and he cried that entire like he would not sleep and then the hospital they tell you you know the baby can't sleep with you and like the baby wants to sleep with you Mm -hmm. like you know at the end of the day the baby just can't your baby just came out of you like that baby is not, I'm, some babies do at the nursery, but Kara's was not about sleeping in that bassinet. Um, and we were so fearful because the hospital had scared us out of co-sleeping that we were exhausted. I remember I was tired. Kamari was tired, but he like kind of had to keep it together because he ain't have a baby. I did, so I need sleep. <laughs> He's tired. Um, and his Karis is crying. And like, we just trying to, that's the first night. And I was like, oh, shit, what do we do? What, this, is, this is real. Um, and it was an adjustment. It was an adjustment um, just being on someone else's time. It still is an adjustment now in quarantine because he's not at daycare. So he's home 24 seven. Um, so that's an adjustment. But postpartum, um, I did, my mom and dad came out to um, help me. My mom stayed for about a week and a half after that. And then it was just us because my family lives in North Carolina. So it was just me and my husband out here. And um, I remember I felt myself slipping into postpartum depression just because I was tired. I was not co-sleeping. Karis had gas. I had an overactive letdown, which meant my breast milk was expressing like really fast, Mm -hmm. um, creating more pressure in his stomach, creating gas. I didn't know kids, babies get this, but there's a certain thing, I forgot what it's called, where babies do not realize what gas is. So he would freak out every time he felt the sensation of gas. Mm. And I was creating gas because I had an overactive letdown during, because I was breastfeeding. Um, so it was really hard. He was not sleeping. We opted to co-sleep um, because I was nursing and that was the only way we were going to get some rest. And it was, I up, up until then, I was dreading, I was literally dreading nighttime because I was like, this baby is not going to sleep at night. I know I'm naturally going to be tired because of my circadian rhythm and I don't know what to do. I can't watch enough Netflix shows to keep me up. And um, so we, there were just some changes we had to make. I had every bassinet. He, Karis had, um, he had a halo. He had his crib. He had to sleep in, like, the, the the thing for the bed that you put in between if you want to co-sleep safely. He had all those things. He didn't want none of them. Like, he, he didn't want any of them. Um, and that was a rude awakening. Like, it was like, oh, baby's going to do what they want to do. Like, mm-hmm. I just, he's just going to, and we're at his whim. Like, and so that was a big adjustment for me, just feeling like I lost, I value freedom. Like, freedom is one of my core values. 
and feeling like I lost a sense of my freedom was contributing to my postpartum depression. So that's when I had to get support. We had to co-sleep. We had to do what we had to do. And we became happier after that. We've been pretty good, but it's still an adjustment. Motherhood's the most humbling thing I've ever done. It's as an entrepreneur, you know, sometimes things just don't get done. It's required me to ask for grace from people um, and grace for myself and just kind of stepping back and realizing I'm doing too much. And um, yeah, but it it definitely, I definitely felt it happening. And I even remember one night, Karis was just crying. He might've been like 10 weeks. I had a pounding migraine and he was just crying. Nothing I could do would stop him from crying. And I remember saying in my head, I was like, this is how people shake their babies. This, I, I get it. No judgment. I'm at my wits end. I told my husband, you got to get up. Like, you got to get up. I got to go to the bathroom. I went and sat in the toilet and cried. I was like, you got to get up, get him. Because I was just so frustrated. Like nothing I was doing was like helping him. Yeah. Um, and so it just definitely, I feel like um, my husband always says like, I'm a tough love person and I'm really a hard ass and everything. But I feel like motherhood made me more compassionate because I realized there are just certain things that are out of our control and we just got to go with the flow. Yeah. And even for someone who likes to control their situation and, you know, control their outcomes and live with intention and everything, I realized there are just some things you can't control. And um, it's, it's, it's been a humbling experience. Every, every day my son humbles me. Nope. Every day. <laughs> the children do humble us. I think it is a... Children show us ourselves. They show us our deep, dark secrets that we keep away, the things we don't want to deal with because they're like, listen here, I need all the attention, all the love, even when you're annoyed, so figure it out. <laughs> yeah, and sometimes my son, he'll be clamoring for my attention and I'll just be annoyed because like, mommy has to send this message off. Mm-hmm. And I'll be like, you know what? He just needs your time right now. He just put the phone down. He just needs a moment from you. Yep. Get back to it later write it down, write it somewhere. You don't forget it. Like <clears throat> come back to it. He just needs, right. he just, he wants you to read him this book. He just needs a hug sometimes. And sometimes Kara's just like, he just wants a hug. He's very loving. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it, but it's, <laughs> I mean, the blowout getting uh, pooped uh-huh, on uh-huh. The, the, the yellow breast milk poops that stain, <laughs> um, it's, it's 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 humbling but it is still so beautiful it's beautiful it's it's a it's a challenge um and there are certain like challenges like i challenged myself to i wanted to have a, a medicated birth i wanted to breastfeed for at least 18 months um and it's like so, you know certain challenges and it's selfless even breastfeeding has been was, was selfless we just weaned this week he's officially weaned um but even that you know like my breasts were not mine for 18 months it, it, it was it got to the point where i was like he's getting a little too like i was Karis, he was twiddling my nipple he's on the other one and i was like Karis, you know what your journey is coming to an end it's, it's come get this oat milk whittling whittling it is whittling just it like is. why who why? taught you this who taught you how to twiddle worst. a nipple the worst um, you know, I really do feel like we could do a whole podcast on cold sleeping. A it's a whole podcast on cold sleeping. <laughs> it's controversial. You know, it's controversial. I think that contributed to my um, postpartum too, is because everything has SIDS warnings on it. I remember saying to myself, I was like, oh my God, if we can just get to like six months, 
outside like the SIDS danger zone. If we could just get to this, if we could just get to this. I was terrified. And I coasted and I was ashamed of it initially because I talked to my mom. I'm telling my mom, I was like, Mom, we are not. She's like, girl, you don't put that baby in the bed with you. I was like, but I don't want to. I don't want to roll over and kill him. And, you know, there's all these Facebook groups and you're a murderer. You're, you might as well put your baby in the coffin. And there's like all these people are really passionate against it. But guess what? They are not going to come get your baby and let you get some sleep. None of them are signing up to relieve mothers who are exhausted and like who need to get sleep. And that's kind of how I look at it. And I was like, y'all ain't going to come rock my baby. If I fall asleep or like if I have a nervous breakdown, y'all aren't going to support us. Um, and so I just did it as safe as I could. Um, this another thing about being financially secure. I was like, okay, our bed's not big enough. Ordered a king size bed on Amazon, got rid of our other bed. We had a queen. I was like, get this out. Let's get a queen king size bed. So we have more room in our bed. Took all the sheets off the bed to and took all the sheets. We only had a sheet, took the blankets off the bed, took the comforters off the bed. The only, and this was in December. The only comforter I had on my bed was like this quilted one that was like crocheted so that he could breathe through it. it, it like it was, it wouldn't suffer. It wasn't like it had good airflow. Um, took the pillows off the bed. I would sleep with my arm and like the, the upside down U, um, so I wouldn't roll and so forth. But then I also co sleeping required me to trust my intuition more, and it made me more confident in my intuition because then I realized like. I was not going to harm my baby. I'm not on, I'm not taking any medications. I'm not doing anything that's like contributing to me being aware and conscious of him being there. And um, it definitely helped me trust my intuition more because that was the best thing for us. He co-slept, Karis co-slept. And like I said, it's not for everybody, but Karis co-slept and we're a non-smoking home. So I do want to say that like we're a non-smoking home. Um, I, I mentioned I'm a smaller frame woman, like, um, I would put him on my side. He would not sleep by my husband. It would just be me and Karis on the side. Um, but we co-slept until he was eight months. And then that's when we transitioned him to the crib. And most people, you know, people say it's kind of hard. Actually, his transition to the crib was pretty decent. It was pretty, it was pretty easy. Our winning process has been relatively easy. He's sleeping through the night now and everything else. But we needed that because as someone who loves her sleep, I was going to lose it. Mm-hmm. I was going to resent my baby. So you hit on so many things in just that whole, um, scheme of explaining. I think the first thing is, you know, when we think of you, you hit on like being financially stable and being able to get those things to make it safer. There are a lot of families who are not in a financial place to even be able to get a crib or get, a pack and play or get a separate place for their child to sleep. So naturally what they're going to do is sleep with their child. Mm -hmm. And so what you're hoping is instead of fear mongering families and scaring them, why don't we actually share the information on how to safely co-sleep because half those families probably, or people in those groups you following is co-sleeping with their babies (laughs) in some way, whether it's accidentally because you fell asleep on the couch, the chair, or maybe you have this wonderful thing that goes in the bed with you, but there's so many ways to co-sleep safely. And that's the conversation I think that we're missing. It's like, yeah, and I can honestly whole ramble say, and talk about I, that part, but <laughs> I did not ever fall asleep with Karis sleeping unintentionally because I was getting sleep because we were co-sleeping. I did not ever fall asleep with him on the couch. I did not ever fall asleep with him in a rocking chair. I did not ever fall asleep when I needed to be alert 
because I was getting my sleep because we were co-sleeping. Like mm-hmm. for me, it cut down on accidental incidents right. um, because we decided to intentionally make sure that we were getting rest in that manner. Um, but you're, you're, you're absolutely right. There's a, and you, I remember a friend, she was like, look, we just put our mattress on the floor, put our mattress on the floor. And that was, you know, that was, and there were all these concerns, like what happens if he, when he starts crawling, if he rolls out of bed and everything else, Kara stay but Your intuition when, also picks up though. Like yeah. when you naturally, when we co-sleep with our children, you go into that position that you described. Like you just naturally cradle them to keep them safe because that's just what our bodies do. We're connected to our kids in that way. And there's even studies that have shown that our circadian rhythms and our, um, respiratory rhythms match our children's Mm -hmm. so that we would notice when there are shifts, which then helps prevent SIDS. Mm -hmm. But again, don't get me on my ramble, y'all. Right. Exactly. Yeah, we were breastfeeding. And it also got easier too when the older he got, because it was like, here, you you woke up here, just pop. Pop on. Pop on. Can't point sometimes I'll sleep topless here. Just exactly. Here. And he go back to sleep, I go back to sleep. We, were, we we slept so good then. We slept better when we were co-sleeping than when he's in his crib. Because mm-hmm. now that he's in his crib, he 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 is on a structured bedtime. We ended up for anybody who's struggling with sleep, we used the book Precious Little Sleep. That was like a godsend okay. for me. Um he's sleeping through the night now, but my son is an early riser. He wakes up at 545 to 6 oh, o'clock okay. every single morning. When we were co-sleeping, he slept as long as I slept. Like It's like, okay, no, we're going back to sleep. Waking up at 9 o'clock. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. <laughs> now that he's in his crib, we walk in, and he is bright-eyed and bushy-tied. Ah! <laughs> Ready to start his day at 6 a.m. Yes. So we slept so good. Then I missed that sleep. We slept <laughs> so good. <laughs> oh, yes. Yes, yes. I don't know where you want to start with, but can you tell us a little bit more about um, MyFab Finance and then also um, the Maternal Health and Ed Project? Mm-hmm. Um, MyFab Finance, I started in 2013. I've been, a full, I've been doing it full time since 2015, but it is a financial education platform, um, giving people tips, tools, and resources to help them create financial security, make the best financial decisions for them so they can create lives that they love. And what's central to that is creating a life that you love. Like, I don't want you just to be financially free just to be able to quote it on Instagram. I want you to be financially free so you can pursue a life you love and live life on your own terms, whether it is hiring as many people for your birth team as you need or taking birthing classes or making sure that your home is safe or going on baby moon or going on vacation or taking, you know, doing whatever you need to do so that you enjoy your life and have a better quality of life. I want I don't want money not to be the reason that you don't live the life that you love. So that's what the focus is on my fab finance. We have our blue ribbon club, which is a structured accountability program and offers courses in a guided way so that people can, you know, you create a budget. Then we talk about your debt. Then we talk about your savings and so forth and like helping you achieve each um, item, each milestone. So we have the blue ribbon club for my fab finance. And then we also, um, from that, I ended up creating the Maternal Health and Education Project, which is a nonprofit, um, just to gar- just to leverage my community I created with MyFab Finance to support mothers who were so that mothers can experience pregnancy on their own terms and that they have the financial resources to do so. So the Maternal Health and Education Project, through that, we funded um, funded six lactation 
um, consultations for women who are having issues or for low-income mothers who are having issues with their breastfeeding journey. Um, we provided a doula to a single mother who did not want to birth alone. Um, we're still raising funds. It hasn't become, it hasn't been my central focus as of yet because I'm in the process of me and my husband bought a business in November. So I'm in the process of growing that business that I've just purchased. But once that gets going, um, we will return to be my focus. And then once we relocate, because now we're moving to Atlanta, so maternal health and education project will be in Atlanta and it will serve mothers in the South, which I think it's, it's really needed there anyway. Um, and so, yeah, I'm really excited to see how it grows, but the just is like, we don't have any operating costs. It's just like all the money that we raise goes directly to um, education, resources, or birthing team support that a, a mother would need. I'm about to hit you up for all the things. I need some financial freedom. <laughs> uh, I love it from the perspective of a black woman though, right? Because there's tons of financial freedom and financial uh, products, right? In literature and literacy. But I love that it's coming from someone with a shared experience, right? So. Right. Mm -hmm. And that was important for me is that when I started, you know, when I, I started it because I needed it. Um, I felt like there weren't, wasn't anybody who had graduated from college at the height of the recession, the last recession. And now there's going to need to be other financial educators because I don't want to say I'm out of touch, but I'm in a different financial position in this recession. Um, and there's going to be, he's going to give birth to other financial educators and so forth who are, have navigated via co through COVID and helping people through that and so forth. And so for me at that time, I was like, people were like, well, look into Susie Orman's resources. I was like, she don't know my life. Like Susie Orman is a middle-aged <laughs> white woman who, no, uh, like I, I got, I got laid off from my first two jobs out of college. My parents they cool, but I got to figure this out. Like they're tired of helping me. I have to figure this out. My life is very different from Susie Orman. I have no credit cards because I messed my credit up a long time ago. So I don't even have credit questions because I have no credit cards. Um, and it was, I was just in a different place. And um, I'm glad that I've been a voice and a resource for people and resonated with people. And I also think a lot, of, a lot of stuff is about visibility and just showing what's possible too. And with MyFab Finance, a lot of that was also visibility, showing that you can create a platform, educating and empowering other than like doing something like, you know, I remember I was speaking at a high school and um, this like a ninth grader was like, oh, I'm going to get 20, 27 inch weave and be on Rally TV and be like, ah. And I was like, I just want young women to see that you can do well doing something that's empowering and doing something that other than that, because we're often told that those are our avenues and our lanes. So as much as it's about empowerment and financial education, it's also about representation. Yes, we do money. We do money well. Yes, we start businesses. We start businesses well. And we can do it without the typical framework that they tend to assign to us without being an athlete, without being the child of a celebrity, without being a reality TV star or an entertainer. There are so many ways to become a millionaire. And I just want to remind people, young men and women of color of that. Thank you. Thank you for that. Because it is be it it it's America. It's like literally a million ways to get it, right? So like, choose one. Yes. <laughs> Pick your choose your adventure, right? <laughs> and I mean I'm I'm constantly reminding myself of that too because that doesn't mean that I don't have issues and struggles. And you know, as I said, I me and my husband recently bought a business. 
And um, my boss that I had at my last job before I resigned to do my finance full time, he's, you know, Harvard educated, went to Brown, went to Harvard. He is launching his business. And like, I've been getting his emails and I'm kind of like, oh, this is so well done. He's like, you know, and he's doing it a Harvard way. Mm -hmm. Um, And I felt doubt creeping in like, well, it was what you're doing good enough. And I had to remind myself, like, there's so many ways to become a millionaire. There's so many ways to do this. You don't have to do it his way. And so that's something that I have to remind myself of regularly. So at each step, we have to remind ourselves of our power. And at each step, you know, think different things would be demanded of us. But it's all about growth. Exactly. Is there anything else that you want to leave our listeners with? From your- yeah. Um, I did create a book called Financially Preparing for Baby mm-hmm. for people who are just figuring. I wrote that book at the, like, I Karis is literally days old nursing, and I'm sitting here with my laptop finishing this ebook. But I was in the trenches of motherhood when I wrote that book just about the financial considerations of planning for a baby. Oh, and that's what I mentioned I was going to share. My hospital birth, because I had insurance, I was, look, I was looking at the receipt just last week. A hospital birth, unmedicated, no interventions. The only medication they gave me was ibuprofen and a stool softener. After I had him, I had three stitches. I had like a one degree tear or something like that. So I had three stitches. My birth still cost $20,000 in the hospital. Um, My insurance paid 18,000 of it, thankfully. But my birth cost $20,000. Birth is expensive. It can be expensive. So, um, and, you know, paying for my midwife out of pocket and everything else that came along with it. So I wrote Financial Preparing for a Baby to help people prepare going into pregnancy or thinking about having a child or adding to their family, even if you're not going to, um, even if you aren't giving birth, but maybe you're thinking about adopting. Um, the book is also applicable to individuals who are just expanding their family or bringing another child into financial considerations. So that book is available um, in my Instagram bio, Financial Preparing for a Baby. Um, and yeah, um, Maternal Health and Education Project, we are still taking, we are still receiving donations. We are still granting. We have some money in the fund for um, a, a small amount right now because we haven't been actively raising funds, but we have a small amount to support mothers. So if there's anyone who's listening or knows someone who needs some type of support with their birthing education, Bradley classes. Right now we're not able to fund doula services because it's a little more than we have in the fund. But if it's like, you know, birthing class or lactation consultations and so forth, we can fund that. Or even if it is, you need, well, now it's the age of um, COVID. But I mean, before one of the things we did was we paid for, a, um, a housekeeper for a mother of four who was overwhelmed and she just needed someone to come over yeah. and clean her house. We paid someone to do, you know, we, we paid for that. So we, we can make, um, we can fund things like that for mothers. So if you know Got someone it. who needs it, reach out to us. Got it. And we will Got make it. sure all of these things are in the show notes. Um, that financially preparing for a baby, I think is really key. Um, because there's, I mean, yeah, you, there's things you don't think about. And I think for some people, it's like, I'm, I can't afford a baby right now. And just being able to have some guidance on what that might look like. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And also, I do want to, the last thing I do want to say is find community. Mm-hmm. Community was also one of my saving graces. Here in LA, there's a space called Kindred Space LA, um, mm-hmm. created by Allegra and Kim Durden. Yes. And mm-hmm. I would go, that was the only place I would go. I would look forward to it every week. Me and Karis is getting out the house and going to mom group. There would be other moms there who were new mothers just talking about motherhood, talking about things you're dealing with your partner, talking about things you're dealing with 
um, things you're dealing with with your in-laws or your parents and their different parenting styles. Um, it was such a beautiful space. And now a lot of us mothers, like we, we created a WhatsApp group. So we support each other via the WhatsApp group, you know, like so-and-so is teething. What do I need to do? Um, and so just finding that community is so important because it helps you realize you're not alone. Half the time, sometimes mothers, you know, I was in a group, um, another mother's group, and all of our babies were born the same month. And so it would be like, you up? Yeah, girl, I'm up. Like, you know, like, <laughs> I'm up here going to sleep. Yeah. So just finding that community, um, you need connection as a new mother. You need someone to talk to as a new mother. You don't have to be in this alone. And you also need people to validate your intuition, but then also to, like, kind of give you permission, just give you permission to feel and to be be the human that you were before you had a baby mm. because i think that yep. a lot of people your spouse and other people and your doctors and stuff expect you to be like mom it's like but there's another i was a human before i had this baby and like a part of her is not enjoying this process and i need to talk to someone about this it's not going to judge me and understands that right yeah for sure mm-hmm. thank you very very much for doing this for sharing with us this is absolutely wonderful Thank you so much. You're so welcome. We haven't Thank been, because I've been in the launch phase, we haven't been taking podcast requests with oh. this one. I was like, oh. I'm taking this one. Thank so. you. <laughs> yeah, definitely. My sister was like, we don't take that. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you so much. Um, yes. Really appreciative of that. Thanks for, for listening sure. to Birth Stories in Color. To hear this show and other episodes, head to birthstoriesincolor.com. 